Hey, I'm Daniel, a political activist and campaigner turned management consultant turned coach. And this is PolitikWise, the podcast where politics meets personal development. Let's face it, it's easy to criticize those in politics. But being in politics is not an easy ride. And yet for many who make the leap, it's worth it. They can make a real difference. So how can we have both? How can we make a difference while at the same time showing up as the best version of ourselves? It's a question that's been with me for the last 20 years. First, when I started out as an activist leading an NGO, then when I did a PhD in politics, and later when I quit my job in consulting to help build up a political movement and run an election campaign. And today, as I coach young leaders who want to make a difference while staying true to themselves. I know the answers are out there, so join me on this podcast. We'll hear from political leaders, from psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers about their findings and experiences. And together, we learn about the ideas, mindsets and tools of wise people in politics and beyond. Let's go. My guest today is Daniel Rona. He is the director of 21 Research Center, a think tank in Budapest specialized in public opinion polling and political consultancy. He's been an advisor to several political campaigns in Hungary, such as the campaign of the current mayor of Budapest, as well as for the centrist opposition party Momentum. In my conversation with Daniel, we explore what it's like to be in politics in Hungary, especially as opposition. And Daniel shares his observation on what drives people to go into politics and what it takes to be a successful politician in Hungarian politics, much of which I believe translates to politics beyond Hungary itself. So, Daniel, why don't we start with how did you get involved in politics? You know, was this something that you've always wanted to do? Is this something that developed over time? First of all, thanks so much for having me. And uh, I think I, I've been always interested in politics, even as a child in the secondary school. I regularly read mainstream media outlets and I talked to, talked about politics with my father. And I went uh, a relatively good secondary school in Hungary. And uh, my classmates were also interested in politics. So when I uh, applied to a university, it was important to learn something which has something to do with politics. First, I was an econ economist student, but I graduated as an economist and a political scientist. It was a double major, and it was during the pre-Bologna system in Hungary. So it took longer for you to, to complete the, the studies. And, yes. and, and Danny, what was after, after university, what was the first let's say, position, the role that you had in politics in the broader sense? What was that? Yeah, there was a research group called Hungarian Election Study with a full of researchers, pollsters. Basically, all major Hungarian polling firm was were represented in this group. And I was hired by Gergely Karácsony, who was my supervisor at the university and my professor. And he hired me as an assistant, research assistant to this group. So this, this was my, my first job. All right. And what, what then? Just give us a, a glimpse into how did you get from there to where you are right now with leading your research institute and being a pollster? 
Yeah, during the university, I was very interested in politics and especially about or interested in voting behavior, electoral studies. Gergely Karácsony, who I already mentioned, he's now the mayor of Budapest, but back then he was my research methodology professor. And his class was very inspiring. So I did write an essay and it, it was awarded in a scientific competition at the university. Uh, and I got very good feedbacks. People told me, my professors told me that you are good at this. You should uh, use your skills and you should focus on, on this subject. So that encouraged me and uh, I applied to a PhD program with a specialty in the same area, so voting behavior. And that, that's how I, I, I started my career as a scientist, as a PhD student. I completed my PhD at Corvinus University, the same place where I graduated, Corvinus University of Budapest. And uh, I had uh, several scientific tasks, but around 2012, 2013, I thought that Hungarian politics is even more interesting if you are closer to the decision maker. I thought that as a scientist, I could do wonderful articles and some people would argue with me, some people would agree with me, some people would cite my work, but I thought I couldn't change the world with that occupation. I thought I, had, I, I would have a much bigger impact as someone who works directly to politicians, to decision-making, uh, uh, who is closer to the decision-making process. So I started to work for opposition politicians. From my perspective, luckily, Gergely Konácsony was one of them. And I think it's extremely hard to work in Hungary politics. The job inspired me. And I really liked the feeling that I saw the effect, the impact of my work. I saw that something is different because I made some calculations, because based on my calculations, someone made a decision. And I felt more useful that way. So ever since I've been working for politicians, opposition politicians, and it took me a long time till I got the, the network and the experience to start my, my own company. It was 2020, so three years ago. And now I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by wonderful colleagues who helped my work and we are a very good team. So this is this is it basically. Yeah, this is I think in a nutshell. And before we talk a little bit more about Hungarian politics that you mentioned and how it's like to be working in this environment, you mentioned impact that was driving you and you wanted to have a more direct impact. Can you think of or can you share one of the big impacts from your perspective, something where you were really glad that you had, you know, contributed to that work and had that impact in in politics? Um, the problem is that being an advisor or an analyst who is directly working with politicians, that my job is confidential. So a politician has a good idea. Sometimes it's his or her idea. Sometimes it's really an idea of a staff member, an advisor, an analyst from his or her staff. And the problem is that we can't say that it was actually my, my idea because you know, it's now it belongs to the politicians before uh, the public. So, so I, I can't name you any specific examples because of the nature of our work. Understand, understand. And I guess it's also part of the work to see how what you think and what you really believe in, how that lands with the client, whether they take it up or not. 
Yeah, but uh, I want to clarify some misbelief about political consultancy, about the nature of our work, that sometimes I really do uh, give advice to politicians, but that's uh, less than 10% of my work. Usually it's more than 90%. The bulk of my work is to do research, conduct research, make calculations, make international comparisons, write papers. And by the end of the process, sometimes I manage to convince my client about a certain position, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. And the other is that it's, it's usually a big team, which I'm part of. It's not just me. So you should imagine that an important politician has many colleagues, staff members, analysts, advisors who have them, and I'm just one of them. So it's, it's that way. Mostly it's even harder to pinpoint my influence to say that this is specifically because of me, because usually when I have the opinion, the four or seven other people in the room, half of them or some of them have the very same opinion. And it's hard to say who exactly convinced the decision maker. Yeah. Yeah, understood. Let's talk about Hungarian politics. How, how, is that, how is it like working in Hungarian politics? And that seems like a very broad question, but perhaps you have a sense of and are familiar with politics elsewhere in, let's say, the European Union. And perhaps you can compare it a little bit with what's different in politics in in Hungary, perhaps that makes it also interesting. Yeah, and I'm also more or less familiar with U.S. politics. Yeah. I uh, did my Fulbright in California. So the, the biggest difference is that if you work for the opposition in Hungary, you are basically against the system or the system is against you. That, that would be <laughs> even more correct to say. So in the U.S., for instance, you could work either for the Democrats or for the Republicans, but even if you or your clients lose an election, he or she might win the next one. Because uh, usually it's very close and it's hard to say who will win. And the resources are similar. Not the same, of course, but at least uh, similar. So if you work for the Democratic Party and you will earn the trust of politicians, you, you will have many potential clients. Uh, Hungary, on the other hand, is completely different. Because if, if you work for the opposition, first of all, the resources are not comparable to the resources of the government. It's not just the media coverage I'm thinking of. It's uh, the state institutions. All of them are led by uh, a politician loyal to the Prime Minister, Viktor Orban. So even the independent institutions are against the opposition and sometimes they serve partisan purposes. The government outspent the entire opposition more than 10 times in the last national election campaign. So uh, really it's uh, David and Goliath, basically. And, and the other thing I wanted to say is that opposition parties come and go, usually. There are some who are more successful and in the long run, but many of them just disappear. They have an election success. They reach a very good um, in an election. But after their original achievement and they collapse, they fail to pass the 5% threshold in the next election. And then they just disappear. It happened with Gordon Bainai, a former prime minister of Hungary, that he launched a party. That's uh, a party uh, or a party alliance I used to work for. And then it just disappeared because a few years later, in the 2018 election, it received less than 1%. So it, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So that's another challenge among, among the many. 
And why is that, Daniel? Is that is there is there a general reason because it's difficult, as you said, the system is against you and you have to to go against that, or is it you know the fact that then those parties disappear and do not make the threshold the next time around because of various other reasons? Yeah, of course, when a party disappears, then you you shouldn't just blame other factors. You should blame yourself when you can't do something. So. I think this party made many, many mistakes. And it's not a coincidence. It's not a bad karma that it disappeared. It's also bad performance. So that's true. And that's true for some extent to the entire Hungarian opposition that they did usually a poor performance in the national election campaigns. On the other hand, I think which is even more important is the systematic bias, which I started to mention. The media is extremely important. The reach of the government media is much, much higher and stronger than the reach of the opposition media. But but what is even more important is that the government media is uh, functioning not really as a media, but mostly as propaganda. Media outlet is critical. Fox News in the U.S., is many times critical of the Republican Party, critical of Trump. One of the scandal of Donald Trump happened when he insulted a reporter of Fox. So even though it is also very partisan, but it, from a Hungarian perspective, it still can be regarded as a media outlet, as opposed to Hungarian government media outlets, which are never critical of the government. And the message crafted by the prime minister's team is usually broadcasted through the whole system, through institutions which are supposed to be independent, through the biggest share of the media, and it's overwhelming. It's really one-sided communication flow. And it's extremely important. For instance, now the Hungarian inflation is by far the worst in the European Union. It was more than 25% in the past few months. And still, most Hungarian people think it's because of the war, because of the war between Ukraine and Russia. Now, if it's the war, if it's the effect of the war, then it should be extremely high in all European countries, and not just in Hungary. But the reality is that inflation is significantly higher than any other European inflation in the European Union, I mean. So, and it's, you can argue that the opposition didn't do a very good job to convince people that it's the fault of the government. It's not because of the war, but because of the government. Maybe, yes, maybe the Hungarian opposition could have done better. But I, I think the more, the much more powerful factor was the one-sided communication structure of the uh, Hungarian public, of the Hungarian politics. Yeah. So this is. By even even the very dangerous topics, scand scandals associated with government politicians can be neglected. They cannot be very influential because of this media structure. So that's the playing field. And let, let's talk about the players, because the playing field sounds very tough compared to, let's say, where I'm based, German politics, right? So a small party might also complain that it's really difficult to get elected and so, but that's mostly not because of system, systemic unfairness, but just because, yeah, it's more difficult when nobody knows you, right? So I, I guess the question is, given that the playing field is so tough and it's so difficult to be successful, what, perhaps let's start with the opposition politicians, 
people who go into the opposition. What is it that that drives them to do that? I sometimes get that question with, you know, why politics and people I know who are going into politics and running for election get that here in Germany and in, Europe and in other European countries. Um, I guess the answer could be quite difficult in, in, in Hungary. What is it that you believe about that? What, what, what drives people to go into the opposition? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because uh, politicians usually intend to seize power, intend to have an impact on the country. And you can do that if you are the government politician. If you are in the opposition, your influence is extremely limited. And in Hungary, it's very simple because the opposition has extremely limited chance of, of being in the government anytime soon. So if we take German examples, it's somehow similar to Linke and AfD, where, because they have very limited chance to, to get to be a government party anytime soon. Whereas all the other parties has, I think, more, more or less realistic chance to do that, or they are on the government. So that I think this has usually a negative impact on, on the recruitment of politicians, because an opposition politician might think that it's impossible to win. So I can, I could help the opposition, but I'm not very motivated because it's impossible to win. So I will help myself instead because that's much more realistic. I can enhance my relative position between opposition parties. That's not impossible. But I, I can't be it with us because it's a it's much harder job. So that's that's one thing which which has a bad impact on the selection process. Uh, the other um, negative factor is that opposition politicians, when they became a little successful, they win a local election, municipal election, or they manage to build a party which is a little bit stronger than the other parties, then they pose a threat to the system, to the government. And they are character assassinated in a second with an extreme high intensity and extreme media coverage. And there are very, there are many blatant examples how opposition politicians get character assassinated by the government propaganda. And of course, they can sue, they can start the legal process, and usually they win. Uh, but it doesn't really matter because the legal process ends three or four years after the election and nobody really cares at that time. That was the original statement of the government media. So that's another factor which makes the life of opposition politicians extremely hard. But again, you, are, you are asked me that uh, I should talk more about the players and less about the institutions. So if the opposition politicians are not good enough, then the responsibility is also theirs. So maybe many of them just not talented enough. But again, I should emphasize that even an extremely talented opposition politician couldn't be the Orban government in, 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 this, in this environment. So these, these are the negative factors. And, and just let me mention yeah. briefly positive factors too. So because the opposition parties are usually less popular, then there is a bigger incentive for new politicians to join because it seems easier to do a better job with all opposition politicians. So many new opposition politicians join the political elite. Uh, LMP, which is a Green Party, or Momentum, which is a Liberal Party, managed to enter to the parliament completely from outside, from scratch, basically. So 
I think this is this can have a positive impact on the political elite that it's not just the same parties every time. Although, again, the fluctuation is limited. So the last time a new party emerged and became successful was Momentum, and it was 2017. Ever since, we got the same parties as we used to have before. Yeah. And and I can imagine, or perhaps let me formulate as a question, then do you, from your experience, do people who go into opposition, are they aware of how tough it can be or are they often often surprised? I mean, do they take that this into consideration when they make the decision to, to do this? Yeah, some of them are aware, very well aware. Some of them are don't. I had the fortune or, or, or the misfortune to work for both sides. And it's not just the awareness about how difficult the job is, that it's how they formulate their goals, their strategy. There are some opposition politicians who are very conscious and very deep thinking, and they do have a strategy and they, they do step, step by step and they, they can prevail. And then there are some other politicians who are really live for the moment and don't don't really know what their um, long-run purpose is. They just want to survive and usually they are much less successful. So that's uh, that's another dividing line between politicians. But I guess it's the same for government politicians or for many politicians around the world that, uh, of course, you, you need to be good at the daily fights. You need to communicate well and uh, you need many skills. But uh, to achieve success in the long run, you must have a strategic thinking. What are your aims? What are your goals? And how can you achieve it? Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to perhaps the, the question on the skills and link it to the beginning of, of our conversation. Since you are one of, since you've got the role as an advisor, I know that in politics, what can be very difficult is for a politician to be surrounded by all of these different voices. Perhaps there is the, the campaign manager, then there are pollsters, then there are policy experts. And there might be, as you mentioned before, in the room, there might be, you know, 10 people and five people have that opinion. And then these different opinions at the end of the day, then the politician needs to go ahead with one of those, yeah, one of those, one of those positions, one of those communications, for example. Any thoughts on how a politician can negotiate that or be in the best position possible to make these these judgments and how, yeah, ultimately how to make those judgments? Any skill that comes in that you think is important here? Yeah, I think organizational skills are essential. So many politicians have has very good staff. They have very clever staff members, experts, advisors at their disposal, but they fail to organize things smoothly and they couldn't make the best of their staff, the, uh, out of their staff, because, for instance, there are too many participants in a meeting. And too many people think to the discussion. It means that for each individual, there, there is only a very limited time. And the dynamics that way could be misleading, less productive. It's much better to have a fruitful discussion with five or six people than with 15 or 16 people when they make decision. And if you have only one minute for each of your experts, then, then they can't uh, really contribute. 
So organizational skills and leadership skills. So politicians should make clear to everyone who works for him or her that what is fixed, what are the things that cannot be changed, and what are the things which can be changed and depends on learning data, on policy advice, on other factors. And if the differentiation is clear, then the work of the staff is not wasted. Another mistake by many politicians that they don't make it clear. The staff dedicate enormous amount of time and energy to think about things which are actually can't be changed and won't be changed regardless of their opinion. I know it sounds very crazy when I say that, but my experience that it can happen many times and it's, it's not so easy to avoid this mistake in reality. So leadership and organization, I think, and it's good if uh, a politician has some degree of uh, humility that uh, sometimes uh, he or she needs to understand that uh, he or she is not the smartest uh, person on the room or maybe in, in the particular subject which is being discussed, uh, he or she is not the best expert and he or she should listen to someone who has more experience on them. Um, on that matter. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they think that they know better and they don't listen to staff members. Again, that's, that's, I think, a very bad example. But the other end of the scale, the other extreme, it's also bad if you are not sure of your own opinion and you lean on your staff members too much and you can be influenced in many dimensions in every important aspects of your work. That's also bad. So I think an ideal leader, because a politician wants to be a leader, is someone who is who has clear priorities, which are fixed and cannot be changed, and he or she makes, make, makes this clear. And there are some points where he or she needs inputs, but only some. Too, too much is bad, too few is also bad. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, let's end with this perhaps politics is, is about power power plays a key role as you said earlier when you go into politics you want to get political power right to change something or to keep it as as it is as someone once said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely what what are your observations from your time in politics on on that yeah i think because i never worked for government politician Uh, that I have very limited experience on this. So I don't have uh, the opposite uh, interest, but obviously I might have a better understanding even in the case of politicians who I didn't work for. And I think the Hungarian government is very good proof that power corrupts and unlimited power has a very bad influence on th those who yield it. Imagine that you are absolutely assured that you will be able to keep your job regardless of the performance, regardless of how you do it, regardless of how you conduct yourself. I think this is, this is not a good incentive. It's the opposite. It's a very, very bad incentive. And obviously, even Fidesz politician has some limits. So for instance, there are internal power struggles within the government. And if you don't do your job well, then the rival group could prevail. It's true that the opposition is weak, but still in some area of the country, in some territory, they can achieve success. So for some government politicians, there is a real competition, especially in Budapest and in the 
major cities. So that's another checks and balances. And uh, so because of that, I couldn't say that uh, competition is altogether eliminated from Hungarian politics. It's there, but it's very different and it's very limited. And it has a very, very negative effect. So I, I think uh, we can witness many times that they do this because they can. They uh, they won't listen to any stakeholders because they don't have to. Um, they, they are not very keen on avoiding corruption scandals because they won't, won't be unseated, even if they are involved in very nasty corruption scandals. So again, this is, it's not only bad for the country, but I think it's bad for themselves. It's, it's, it's bad for the politicians. It's bad for the person who doesn't have this kind of healthy competition, which could act as a good incentive to, to enhance the performance. So I think it's, it's bad for anyone. And, and many things in Hungary happen because of the lack of the competition. Leave it next. Daniel, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked the episode. Please share it with someone who might find it valuable as well. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should talk to, let me know. You can find out more on my website. Head over to politicwise.org. Until the next time.